Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Wholesale Sourcing members. It's Charlene Anderson, your Wholesale Sourcing expert, here on December 5th. 2018, sick in the middle of Q4, with a podcast about the things I've learned this past year. Um, and I'm, I'm more than willing to admit, some of them I learned the hard way. And I hope what I'm going to tell you means that you don't have to learn them the hard way. You can just learn from my, uh, my experiences. So I'm going to jump right in to my list of things. One thing I learned, because I stretched out into a new niche in the arts and crafts field this year is distributors can be your friend. Um, and what I mean is a distributor who aggregates um, products from a number of companies, especially a number of small companies, can really make it worth your while to get into a niche. And here's, here's what happened to me. I went to this trade show in a niche that I had knew nothing about for the past 10 years. I was into it at one time, but kind of fell off it. And so I missed 10 years of changes in the business, which is a lot in business now. It's like, you know, 100 years um, before the internet. And so I went to this trade show and um, realized that there are two main, or found out just because I have these ears on that I listen to everybody talking at in line for places, in the aisles, all this kind of stuff. There are two main distributors in this niche. Um, and both of them, their job is basically to get everything a brick and mortar store would need to open up a store in this niche. So you could sign up with one or the other and probably get pretty much anything you needed to open a store. We're talking you know, from little um, impulse items by the cash register to big you know, multi-thousand dollar items, all of them. And um, I got to talking with the president of one of these distributors, um, and I, I spoke to this a little in a previous podcast, um, who gave me the name of the biggest Amazon seller in the niche, and they do, tw they do $20 million a year buying from his company. Um, and the reason these distributors can be so good for you is um, I sell a lot of stuff from very small companies. They're a mom-and-pop company, sometimes just a mom company, sometimes a pop company, sometimes a, a whole family. But it means that they may only have a few products. They've invented something really cool that's popular, but they don't have a big product range. And those companies tend to have, surprisingly enough, fairly hefty opening orders. Um, when you have one product, <coughs> excuse me, ordering $250 of one product that you've never tried that may retail for 10 or $15 is a big leap, at least it is for me. So the great thing about these distributors is they'll gather all those, or they have gathered all of those mom and pop companies into one place, one place to order. Um, and the guy I was speaking to says his goal is to have 100% of the stuff available in this niche on his website. Now, that's a great goal, and he's not quite there, 
but as I went through the show and found the little booth, you know, with the one or two products or, or maybe two products in five colors, you know, but a small booth, um, they all had posted available at XYZ distributors, which means I didn't have to worry about their minimum um, to get into trying the product. I just had to meet the minimum of this distributor, which was $250. And their uh, reorder minimum is $75. But at $150 on reorders, you get free shipping. That's pretty low barrier to entry. I mean, that was fabulous to find this out. So I placed two orders with them for lots of these little small gadgets that that some of them aren't even on Amazon. Some are on Amazon with one or two stellars. It looks like some of them are brick-and-mortar stores in the niche that are trying to expand into online and all that. But it's given me about, as of now, about 100 new SKUs I'm trying with a really low barrier to entry. Um, the website uh, has a great online ordering thing, the distributor, great online ordering. Um, and it gives me the chance to try it out. So whatever your niche, look and see if there's something like this company in your niche. There are two in this particular niche. There is one in another related niche. So they're out there um, in pretty much everything I've looked at for me. So just, just an, uh, a thing to think about if you're looking to get into a niche and don't want to spend a ton on one product. Um, give yourself the chance to spread it out over a lot of products. Um, they do have map pricing on some products, and they're very clear in the, uh, on the website which products um, on the product page are subject to map. And they also have like the, the um, what will happen to you if you break map. And it's like you get two strikes and you're out. The first time you get a warning, the second time they'll shut down your account. I think that's fabulous. I wish more companies would do that kind of thing, that if you're going to have MAP, you got to enforce it. And they have the um, wherewithal to do it. So I'm glad because the, the worst thing to do is to get into a, um, a product and find that the supplier has MAP and you're being the honest guy and you, you, um, you stick there and you hold to MAP while everybody else is taking the price of the product. And um, then, um, then you anyway. Then it's worth. So anyway, there you go. Um, look at look for distributors. Look, make sure they're authorized to sell for the company. Um, that's a big one. You don't want some distributor who's buying you know stuff that fell off the back of a truck, and that is um, that's the bad thing. It, Sarah says she's having trouble with her sound. Um, I'm not moving at all. I'm sitting with my laptop on my lap, um, so I'm not moving. Um, as Joe said, maybe dial in again um, and see. So um, let me get my little list back out so we, I don't miss anything. Second is trade shows. This summer reinforced to me, summer and fall, how valuable they are. I could have never gotten into this new niche um, that I did, basically didn't know a lot about without going to a show, seeing the products, seeing the trends, because the trends have changed so much in the 10 years. What was in 10 years ago is like, pff, people have never heard of it. 
I mean, I, I had been doing the craft since the 70s, and some of the names that were huge then, people have never heard of now. That's how much things change. So the shows can be really, really valuable. So um, the next thing I learned this year, um, fortunately, I caught it before it wasn't too expensive. And it's a question that KU asked in the group this morning about vendors and how they ship to you and should you do use your own accounts and stuff like that. I learned that vendors, especially small ones, don't know what they're doing about shipping to us. They are as clueless as my next door neighbor who doesn't do anything online. I mean, they've just got one way of doing things and that's what they do and they've not negotiated any rates with any of the carriers. Like, you can negotiate UPS rates, you can negotiate FedEx rates, you can get the commercial pricing for the po from the post office. Um, there are some that have not a clue. I have one vendor that will only ship FedEx, only FedEx. And for me, it's a much more expensive option. They won't even let me send them a shipping label from my UPS account that ship UPS because they don't have pickups. They work from home from their garage. They don't have pickups from UPS, and they don't want to deal with it. Um, so you have to decide, is it worth it to keep them as a vendor? And can you absorb these shipping costs from those who refuse to do anything different? And this is what I've talked to, and they won't do anything. It's like take it or leave it. Um, I think a lot of people are leaving it because I'm, still the only, I'm now the only one left selling their products on Amazon. Um, lots of people have fallen off. So whether it's that or just the general attrition, I don't know. But um, I have another vendor who had no idea about UPS flat, USPS, post office flat rate boxes. And the stuff from her was small, and I could get $500 worth in one of those medium flat rate boxes. Um, she was putting them in a regular box, a box bigger than she needed for the size of the products. And the product is unbreakable. It's a fabric product. So it's, it's unbreakable. But she put it in with all this bubble wrap on it and all of that in a bigger box, so dimensional pricing would come into play. And I had to educate her about flat rate and looking at that as the best option, flat rate boxes. Um, fortunately, she was more than willing to learn. She just didn't have any idea. So by educating her, I save about $10 a, a box in shipping. That's a lot, you know? That's $10. That's for me, $30 selling, I'd have to sell $30 worth of stuff to get that $10 back. So that's silly not to, not to educate her. Um, so if you find a vendor that's willing to learn, that's great. Um, I have another vendor that has UPS um, shipping, but the rates aren't very good. So obviously, they have either, one, not negotiated rates with UPS, or two, are using shipping as a profit center for them. And I really don't like either one of those. You know, the fact that they haven't even looked at getting into cheaper rates um, is kind of, you want to say, you know, this is a business. You've got to learn all sides of it. The shipping part's not the, the fun and exciting side, but you've got to learn that side. Or the fact that they're using shipping as a profit center annoys me too as a wholesaler. Um, that's not, that shouldn't be happening. You know, enough to cover the boxes, the packaging, the labor to box it, fine. 
but you know, your job isn't to make money shipping products to me. Your job is to make money selling the products to me. That's just how I feel about it. Um, so I've asked them, could I use my own account, my own UPS account, and email you a PDF of the label. label. All you have to do is print it out and stick it on the box, and you don't have to worry about shipping. Um, some people don't like that because they realize they've been caught about the profit center thing. Or two, some will love it because then they're not out the money for the shipping till they collect it from you and all that. So you, that one you kind of got to feel your way around um, and decide what works best for them and you. But really keep an eye on those shipping charges. I didn't for a while. I kind of assumed that they're, the bus they're in the business of shipping products, so they should know best. But surprise, they don't always. Now I've got other suppliers who are bigger companies who are on the mark ball, and they ship cheaper than I could ship from my own account, and I have some pretty good discounts on it. Um, they're, um, another example, I have a supplier who, if something's back-ordered, they ship it to you for free. Um, and they'll ship like one item that weighs an ounce that my cost is $5 on in a priority envelope. I'm not going to say anything because I'm not paying for it. It's free because it was back-ordered. But that just shows they don't know shipping. They could have put it in a uh, bubble envelope and sent it for $2.26. Is it 226 now? Whatever it is now, I can't remember for the the three ounce rate. So um, that's one that you you as the business owner on your end have to keep track of what the shipping costs are, and um, and make sure that it is fair and reasonable. Ellie says she's got a vendor that charges her for the shipping box. Um, that's I don't know. That's Build it into it, but don't say $2 for the shipping box. I don't like that. Um, let's see. Uh, Sharon says she has some vendors with shipping profit centers, and she gives them their UPS account number. Yep, because, you know, that's I don't mind them making a profit on what they sell to me, but the shipping part, nah. So here's the thing. Don't assume they know better than you, because I'll bet you in most cases you know as much or more about shipping, especially if you're an eBay seller. You know lots about shipping then, you know, because that's part of your job is shipping. Um, Kathleen's saying she's been seeing USPS cubic rates listed. It's a new um, rate thing that came in, recently came into effect that it's kind of like the dimensional rates that UPS charges. Your box may weigh 25 pounds, but you may be charged as, it, as if it weighs 35 pounds if the box is big for its weight. I get that a lot because my stuff is light, so I'll have a – 18 by 14 by 12 box that weighs 10 pounds and it's crammed full, but I get charged for 23 pounds because that's what UPS says a box of that size should weigh, and I'm using air quotes, should weigh. Um, the cubic rates, I've run into it a couple times doing the buy shipping on Amazon, and it was within a few pennies of what I was shipping, um, but keep an eye on it for what you are shipping and see if it's less expensive, and if the delivery time is the same, especially for eBay, if you are, um, you know, you have that time frame. And Merchant Fulfilled, too, if you don't use the buy shipping on Amazon. But it has shown up as on Amazon's buy shipping. So it's there and it's in place. So think of it as dimensional, same as dimensional rates um, that UPS gives us. So let's see. Um, 
Oh, somebody asked about my Shopify website. Um, that was my project for this year to get the Shopify website up and running. And I'll give you a little background um, on the steps I took. I first picked a couple names for it. And I picked names that kind of related to my current business name, but because it was a website for a specific niche in the arts and crafts field, I wanted that name in it. Um, found like the perfect name, and it was available for the, the cheapest price for a domain name. It wasn't one of those expensive ones to buy. So that was available. So the first thing I did was register that. Um, then I uh, went on 99designs because I'd had good luck there um, with the wholesale sourcing book cover. That's, that was designed there. And put out a call for logos for the, um, the new business. And that took a while. You know, and once I selected the winner, um, she was a, it was a woman in Italy who I chose her design. And um, she, we went back and forth, and she was fabulous to work with because she did not mind making changes and making changes and my little um, craziness. And I know Ellie even saw it in, as a work in progress, and Ellie found a, a little tiny issue with a color of something in there that she fixed and all that. So got that done got the logo done, um, got business cards printed because I was going to a trade show in June that related to it. And then at the same time, once I got the business cards printed, I already had bought the domain name. I put up a coming soon page. Um, so that meant then I could go ahead and apply for trademark as an online retailer with that name and with the logo. So I did, because the logo was really distinctive, I did the logo and then the, the store name. Applied for that. Um, I used LegalZoom. Um, that came, uh, got that through. It's now at the published stage of the US government where they publish it for um, people to, to basically complain, saying, no, you can't use that. We've used this. Um, it's already been reviewed and through all that process. We're about five or six months in. To it. That's how long it takes. So it has to be published for X number of days for people to comment, um, and then it finishes up. So we're looking at a couple more months. So the, I, the, my last one took seven or eight months, and this one's going to be like eight or nine, it looks like. So that's where we're at. Um, so then I had, I had the logo. I had all that. I talked to some people um, from the group, like Jen especially, um, helped me pick a um, – Shopify template, and it was a free one, so that was great, and it was as nice looking as some of the paid ones, because some of the paid ones are really ugly. I think this was called Simply or Simplify or something was the name of the Shopify template, and then I started um, putting products in. Um, I had a certain line of products that I wanted to get started with because I have the inventory here already. I bought that about the time I bought the got the logo done, I got the first batch of inventory in. So I spent a while learning how to properly um, lay out things in Shopify, how to categorize them so it made sense for the buyer because these were all variation um, things based on um, size. Um, and do all that and you know, get the images and all of that kind of stuff. And I got it all done and um, the first batch in, and it looks, I gotta admit, it looks really nice. But then, boom, 
along comes September and Q4 hits here. And I have to admit, I have done nothing on it since I've been working on Amazon. Um, I had done, I made sure I got all the, um, the um, accounts for Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and I can't remember what else I got, but all of those guys are in place. And I started doing a little social media stuff, but it just, I haven't even looked at it in two months. So needless to say, nothing has happened because it's not been publicized. It's, there's been no ads. There's been no co- cohesive social media campaign to get people there. So my goal is after the January mess that always happens with Amazon, um, meaning there's still lots of sales. Um, January is a really good month for me, and the only thing I can guess is that people are using gift cards a lot to buy what they really wanted that they didn't get. Um, so the um, so the plan is to get back in it. Um, I have signed up for a class in social media marketing specifically for this niche. Um, it's a company who does it. Um, as I work through it, if it's good, I will tell you guys about it. As usual, no affiliate links, but um, we'll see how it goes. Because I think the two secrets to this are advertising on the um, website that is related to the niche. It's a knitting niche, so Ravelry is the place all knitters go. And I think the advertising there is going to be crucially important, finding the right groups to advertise in and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's the goal. So yeah, I got a nice little Shopify store that's costing me $29.95 a month that's just sitting there right now. And it's my own fault. It's, you know, I can't blame anybody but me for lack of time. So um, I do think there's lots of potential, and I like the idea that um, I have another outlet for things besides Amazon and eBay. Um, It's just I am aware that it is a long haul to build up traffic and business to the store. Um, And I'm also... I'm also somewhat concerned that the products I have in there are small and easy to keep in the in the office, but I think to grow to any substantial size, you're going to need some sort of warehouse, and Ed building would be perfect for that. I would love Ed's shop office um, warehouse building. Um, I just think that might be a stumbling point. And rents are so expensive here that um, that really takes it out of the ballpark. Um, when you're when you're talking that a a four by six storage unit's over a hundred dollars a month, that's four feet by six feet, a hundred dollars a month. Um, it's not it's not feasible to run a business um, that needs substantial warehouse space from this town, and that's why nobody does it. You know, I can't think of anybody who has substantial, any sort of warehouse space um, that's running an online business. Because there's not that much of it. And a lot of people are using warehouse space um, for retail um, because that there's just a um, uh, lack of anything here. You know, we live, we live surrounded by national parks and national forests, and only 4% of the land in this valley can be uh, 
owned by private parties. The rest is all government owned. So there's a finite limit. It's not like you can spread out and go further and further and all that. It just it doesn't work. So supply and demand means things cost more. Um, the prep center thing, whoever guess nine is, I had thought about that, but God, the margins are so tight on these products anyway that I don't know if that would work. I, I'd have to look. Um, it just it puts a whole other kettle of fish in there. And the nice thing about these products is I'm selling over 100 of them a day on Amazon. So you know, if you're only making four or five dollars on each one, that's fine because I sell a lot of them. Um, but if you had to add a prep center in there, I'm not so sure. So it's something I'm going to look at. Hey, Thalia. Um, Thalia's guess nine. Um, so we'll see. It's just something to look at and, and work on um, when it's not so busy getting the stuff from Amazon. Because as of now, I'm happy to say I'm still up 30% over last year. Um, and last year I was up like 52% over the year before. So it's been a steady climb. But um, it'll be interesting to see if this if I can keep up the thirty percent next year, or is there a point a tipping point where um, because I don't have warehouse space and I don't have employees, can I keep the growth going? So we'll see. Um, it, it's um, I'm kind of like the opposite of Ron, who um, is now trying to do everything where he ever, never has to touch the products by using a prep center. He, um, he gets a shipment here maybe once every couple of weeks of small stuff that doesn't um, warrant sending to a prep center. It's easy to prep here. But anything that um, he's buying in case packs especially or pallet loads of stuff now goes to his prep center. And his goal is to have enough products of that type where he doesn't even have to touch these small shipments here. I'm the opposite because my stuff is always small. I mean, the biggest thing I sell is, I'm trying to think now, there's two. One is like 8 by 8 by 12, an item in a box. It's 8 by 8 by 12. And I sell another item that happens to be oversized that is 8 by 18, no, 8 by 20, 28 by 22 by 2. So the 22 length puts it into oversized. But nobody would think those are really big things. You know, to me it is. Because I can, you know, I shipped a box yesterday that had 450 units in one 18 by 14 by 12 box. And not all the same product. Lots of different stuff. It's just all my stuff is small. Um, with smaller margins, um, because it's less expensive, um, but it's worked for me dollar-wise. Um, I'm still not working um, to my full capacity because I'm lazy. Um, I like to take a break in the middle of the day. I like to go to Pilates. You know, I like to put on Judge Judy at noon um, and all that kind of stuff. So I, you know, I have more hours that I could put into it, but there's so much other stuff I want to do too. So that's kind of my, my stumbling point. My average dollar value of sales, um, I'm going to get the exact numbers here so I don't fib to you guys. Let me get it open here and refresh it for year to date. Okay, my average sales slash order item, it's in the far right column, is down 10% over last year, meaning my average sale, what, a, what the average customer purchases in one sale is 10% less than it was in last year. But my, or, uh, the average units per order, it's interesting, is 1.03. So people don't buy multiples. They tend to buy one. 
Um, and that's identical to last year. Um, my sales are now up 30%. Um, the units ordered, which is the big one, is up 45%. So that increase in units ordered more than offsets um, the average sales order item number. That was down 10, but the units ordered is up 45. Um, which is close enough if you take the average of the, the, uh, that 45 minus 10, 35%. I'm up 30, so it's pretty close. I don't know if there's any true relationship between those, but it's interesting um, to see that I have sold 31,000 items this year. Everyone packed by me, um, and I still don't mind packing them. That's a lot of stuff. That's like 100 items a day going out of here on average. So it's doable. Small light is, is the secret. I'm not so expensive anymore. That was the thing where I was always saying small light and expensive. Obviously, um, I have gone down the less expensive route, but I'm making more money. So, um, so I'm happy with that. Um, I think it kind of proves that what I'm doing is still working, which is always nice. So um, that's where the Shopify thing is that you guys asked. I will keep you informed as to how I do driving traffic to the store. Um, I did have a group member test it um, and buy something. So I technically have had a sale, though I had to refund it. Um, she just went in to test it to, to make sure everything worked as it did, and it did. So um, I didn't take any classes in Shopify. Um, I didn't it's, – it's – eerily similar to WordPress, the way things are lined out, and I've done, done enough website in WordPress to see the similarities in what they do, so that probably helped. Um, but it's not, if you can navigate Amazon, um, adding a product is so much nicer in, in Shopify. For one thing, we have total control on it, and I felt that as I was adding all those products. And if I found a, a typo, it wasn't like a crisis to get it fixed. It's like, oh, yeah, I can just fix it myself because I control this whole thing, which is really nice. But it's got to end up paying for itself in the end. So uh, I want to uh, jump in. Ron said he want, the thing he learned this year, he wanted to chime in, is that um, – Processes can be broken with one with a supplier or your supplier. Um, and he goes back, he's really um, watched a lot of Marcus Lemonis' show, The Profit, and he really believes what he says about there are three things with a business. There's the product, which has to be good. There are the people who are working there, and then there's the process they use to work. And if any one of those is broken or not, working effectively, then there's going to be a problem. And he said that he now realizes that the processes that one of his suppliers, his biggest supplier by far, uses are broken. The processes are broken. They have a great product, and the people are nice enough, though they are stuck in the mud. Um, so I think that could be a problem with the people in some way, that you know, they don't do anything the most efficient way possible you know, from taking orders to sending invoices. It's all very convoluted. But obviously the supplier's processes are broken because he can't keep anything in stock. Okay, that's like a big problem. If you never have stock because it sells faster than you can make it, you need to do something so your company can make more products. And that's a pretty simple thing. This is a product that's made in the USA. 
by the team that's in the warehouse factory. It's not big. There's like probably six or eight employees total. Um, you know, there's the owner, then there's the woman who works in the office, and then there are the guys out in the shop making the stuff. Um, I don't know if um, part of the problem lies with he doesn't have the cash flow to buy enough raw materials to make more, or he doesn't know how to project what he's going to need for the coming year. I don't know what it is. Maybe he can't find enough uh, or doesn't have enough qualified employees to make these things because they take a little bit of skill to make. Um, I don't know which of those things is wrong, but the upshot is he's leaving money on the table, which means Ron is leaving money on the table. And um, thanks to my urging or nagging, depending on how you want to look at it, I convinced Ron that he needs to project out his whole next year based on what he sold this year, based on how much he was out of stock and could presumably could have sold more, et cetera. And he got a hold of um, Liz Fick with Restock Pro because that's what he's using, and he was able to get the information he needed on past sales and when he was out of stock to project all of next year with increases. Um, this is an evergreen product line, so it's not going to be a fab. So he contacted the owner of the company and gave him six months' worth of purchase orders starting in January. Um, the stuff goes on a pallet from their manufacturer, the prep center, and then to Amazon. Um, so we'll see. This guy now knows six months out, and Ron said he will guarantee those POs, which is pretty good for someone to do. Let's see if the guy can get the inventory built up so he can actually meet it. I think that will be a really interesting thing to see, that he knows he sold these for six months. Now can he make them? I don't know. I don't know. And if um, I know if, if I had that kind of thing sitting there, I would be working as hard as possible to get those filled and put them on the pallet and have them sitting there, you know, the week before the ship date or whatever, so you're not worrying about it because it's a guaranteed sale. So we'll see. You know, we'll see if he can fix that part of the process a bit. Um, and we have talked, God, I have talked with this guy on the phone for hours about things, and Ron has talked to him, and he's all, you know, I'll think about it, I'll think about it, I'll think about it, but nothing ever changes. He's just like so stuck as where he is and how he does it. And he makes a really, really good product that has a really respected name in the field. So it's a shame that he's leaving money on the table. Um, because I'm guessing he's probably getting close to retirement, where if he pushed hard the next few years, he could probably add a fair bit of money to his retirement nest egg, which would be ideal. Um, but we'll see. I'll let you guys know how it goes after the first one in January, whether he can meet it or not. Um, we'll see. So the last thing I want to talk about is something that's been going on in my business for six years and how it changed last night. Like last night, it was perfect timing. Uh, I found a product at a trade show six years ago, and it was a product that the woman um, invented herself. It's trademarked. It's a really good product. It is the number one product of, this, of its type. It's far superior to any other one out there so far superior that she you know, has an attorney on retainer to deal with the Chinese knockoffs of it. 
and all that. But when she started, it was just, you know, she'd made these and had like a hundred of them made as a prototype and to see if they would sell at this trade show. And I started carrying them. But I talked to her at that first trade show about an Amazon exclusive because she was brand new. And she's no dummy. I mean, she's gotten through the trademark, the patent process, all of that. Um, she's, she's used this tool to do work for tons of famous people because it works and all that. But she wasn't, she wasn't having the exclusive thing. You know, and I can understand. Here's somebody you never met before comes up to you at a trade show and basically, you know, wants to lock down part of your business. So, so I see her every year at the show. And um, she has MAP on her products. And she has a very specific MAP agreement um, that's in place. And her products started, I made the Amazon listings. Her products started appearing, you know, I was the only on for a while, and then low ballers would come on, even though there was MAP in place. MAP is $28.95 on the product, and you get people down to like $22, $21 and all this. And, you know, she tried to find out who these people were, and you and I know their store name may have nothing to do with who they actually are. Um, it was really difficult for her. So roll forward um, about two years ago, and... I told her, I said, I said, Kelly, I cannot carry your products anymore. I can't be the only person sitting at MAP on Amazon because that means I don't sell any unless those other people happen to sell out for a few days and I'm done. And she says, I understand. She says, I'm trying to fight it. I have an attorney working on it, et cetera. She says, I'm going to be doing some stuff, you know. So I stopped carrying your stuff for like eight months because it was dead. And then I looked back at the Amazon listing, and there was only like one other person on the listing at MAP. So I, I ordered like 400 units of the product, and they sold within like a month. And so then I ordered another batch, and they sold at MAP. Uh, fast forward to about four months ago, the, the bottom feeders came on again. Um, full force, down to $20. The cost on the product's 13 so you know they're not making much um, on it. Um, and they're violating her MAP agreement, a contract that I actually signed. So I sent her an email with a screenshot of all these people with me down at the bottom sitting there at MAP. There was like 10 of them about a month ago. And I didn't hear anything back. And so about two weeks after that, I sent her another one. I said, Kelly, I've given you time to answer what's going on with this, I said, just to let you know, I've not sold one of these products in a month since these people came on again. I said, so we have two options. You can let me out of the MAP agreement or you pay for me to recall all of these from Amazon and take them back. I didn't hear from her. So I'm like, oh. So I let like another two weeks go and I just lowered my price down to where I can sell through all of these. I'm like, gave you a warning, told you what's going on. Um, oh, I forgot, three years ago, I helped her do brand registry because she's trademarked and all that. So when brand registry 2.0 came out, I walked her through getting brand registered. And she was really appreciative and gave me $300 store credit for that. So she's been brand registered. So, so I started lowering the price. Well, yesterday, I got a phone call from Kelly. She says, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's going to be pissed that I'm selling below map. But too bad. What could she do? Not sell to me anymore, you know? Um, she says, I want to take you up on your offer of being our exclusive seller on Amazon. 
And I'm like, oh, um, six years it took you. Six years, but you learned um, that maybe it's the best idea. So we did a handshake agreement over the phone. I said, Kelly, can we just do a handshake agreement that starting January 1st, everything you do says you cannot sell on Amazon. Um, that means she has to contract, contact her distributors, who are obviously where these people are getting the project. One of those distributors that I told you that carry, tries to carry everything, um, and see, smart woman has been doing test buys on them because she secretly had coded each of the shipments, each item in a shipment with a different something um, that tells where, we, where, she, where it was purchased from. So like mine must have a different secret code than ones that went to this distributor or ones went to, went to this brick and mortar store or whatever. So I'm gonna go up this afternoon and see if I can find out what the secret code is, but that was very smart of her. So the upshot is, is now we have this handshake agreement that I'll be the exclusive and she is well aware that she probably won't sell anymore on Amazon, but she'll protect her brand because it's gonna be selling at map price and then she can tell her brick and mortar stores, yes, we're on Amazon, but the Amazon seller is at map price. We have that agreement. You know, so, so that's good for her because she protects her brand then um, and she can also tell um, her brick and mortar stores you know, that that's, um, that that's um, what's happening there. Now here comes the difficulty is one, getting all those other sellers off Two, dealing with her distributors so they make it very clear that if you buy these, you can't sell them on Amazon. And then three, seeing if the brand can get gated. Um, there's so much conflicting information about that, and it changes every day. So, you know, I've got some time to work on it, and I'll be doing that part. She's setting me up as an administrator on the brand account. So that means I can fix the listings because they're – pretty bad now because they've gotten messed up by all those other people who have come on um, before she got uh, brand registry. Um, so, um, so then I can go in and fix the listings. I can add the advanced brand content because she has tons of videos that show how to use the product. So that's a big plus that I can help her with that. But the big thing we'll be working through over, I bet it'll be over the next year, is getting her distributors one to realize she's serious, and she even said, if the distributors don't enforce that and continue to t sell to people who are selling it on Amazon, she says, I'll just pull it from the distributor. Because I think she realizes there's enough money on Amazon through me that protects her brand than trying to sell to a bunch of other people. She gets that. And I told her, you're not gonna sell any more on Amazon, but you're gonna sell at the price you want. So, so that's my next year's project for her is to see what we can do there. It's an evergreen product. It's gonna be around a long time. Um, and while I work on the Amazon side of it, she is working with the lawyer on the counterfeit side. And the fact that there are counterfeits out there, um, Chris McCabe, I, I'm, messaged him yesterday asking for a little information. She, she said that could be a help in getting the gating done. If you can show that there are counterfeits and you want to protect it in that way. So we'll see. So that's my news of what I've learned this year. Um, it's lots of little stuff, but I think it's, it's a, been a good year, um, a valuable year to um, learn about stuff. Um, I still realize I love sourcing. I have like 10 trade shows I want to go to next year. Um, 
hopefully I, I will. Uh, there's three I'm going to get to for sure, but hopefully I can get two more. Um, so we'll see. So I'm going to sign off now so I can head in for the appointments for the day. I thank everybody for joining me. And I want to open up a conversation in the Facebook group about what did you learn this year about your business. And let's see if we can help everybody avoid, avoid the, uh, the pitfalls that we've learned in the past year the hard way. So thanks, everybody, for joining me. Um, I'll sign off now. Get in the group, post what you learned this year, and we will talk to you later. Bye-bye now. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.